You're listening to the RUF at UT podcast. You're never so bad that you're beyond the reach of God's grace. And you are never so good that you're beyond the need of God's grace. For more information, go to www.utk.ruf.org. We've been this semester as a whole working our way through the book of Proverbs. And uh, we've been looking specifically at the subject of wisdom. And I've tried to say each week that wisdom is skill at life in the gray areas. Really skill in the gray areas of life would probably be the best way to put that. And probably I think one of the biggest gray areas for us is how we relate to our parents. Uh, and the reason I wanted to talk about this tonight specifically, is that the wind? I feel like that's wind blowing on my mic. Get off me, wind. Um, uh, the reason I want to talk about this specifically last because uh, a lot of you are going to be leaving UT and going back home with your parents for the summer. And when you've been on your own for a while and you go move back home, that's really awkward. That's really weird. You're like, I, what is a, you, a curfew? Like, you want me to have a curfew? I drove with my friends at night up a mountain, like, last week, Mom, and slept outside. And you want me to be home at 11? Like, that doesn't make sense. So if you're going back home, it's just an awkward adjustment getting to live back with your parents. Also, like I just said, some of y'all are graduating, you're leaving, some of y'all are getting married, and the dynamic of figuring out how do I relate to amazingly cute animals that are running behind me, how do I, how do I relate to my parents now that I'm graduated? Are, the, are my parents my friends now? Are they still my parents? Love everything about this moment. So, if you uh, do not have wisdom in the area of how to relate to your parents, uh, things can get hard because it's already a hard relationship. So, I want to just look at a couple of different Proverbs, and then we'll land the plane and hang out together. Look at Proverbs 3, 11, verse 11 through 12. <laughs> Chapter 3, verse 11 through 12. It says this, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father the son in whom he delights. I'm sure you've seen the TV show The Office by now. And the, the main character on the show, Michael, if you're familiar at all with the, with the program, um, Michael uh, begins dating this girl named Holly, who um, is kind of his, the love interest of him. But at one point in the show, she transfers to another office in Nashua, which is a town a number of hours away. And so the episode comes where Michael drives Holly to her new place. And on the ride to this new location, they break up. And it's awkward and it's horrible. And when he comes back to Dunder Mifflin Scranton, because Michael is Michael, he tells everybody that they're engaged. And it's awkward, but they're, you know, the rest of the office doesn't know that he's lying. And so they all come into his office and they're all excited and they're all like talking about it. They're, they're wanting to talk about wedding plans. And then Kevin goes, Michael, have you told your mother yet? And he's like, uh, no, I haven't told my mom yet. And then like everyone's like, you haven't told your mom yet that you're engaged? And they all start chanting, call her, call her, call her. And so he kind of reluctantly picks up the phone 
dials the number, and Andy's right there, and he clicks it, and he goes, speakerphone! So now it's on speakerphone, and Michael's now extra awkward and tense, and he kind of hangs up the phone, and the phone's ringing. Mom picks up, hello? Mom, I'm getting married! No, you're not, is what she says. And he goes, why do you always... Every time I'm getting married, you always don't believe me. And she goes, are you getting married? He goes, no. And hangs, hangs up the phone. And it's this awkward, it's, it's because this really awkward silence in the office right after that. But I think it's this really unique little scene and it resonates with us because it shows us how complicated and weird and hard our relationship with our parents really are because here's the mom who's kind of like doesn't take Michael seriously, rolls her eyes at him all the time. Here's Michael who's like always annoyed with his mom because she's always right and it's just, it's a complicated dynamic. Our relationship with our parents. And whether or not you want to admit it, I think that our relationship with our parents is the most fundamental uh, character shaping relationship that we have. It's more formative than I think any other relationship you have had or will have. I think your relationship with your parents shapes you more than even your future marriage will. If you've ever been to counseling or if you're even remotely familiar with counseling, a good counselor, when you sit down with them, as they ask you questions and get to know you, what they are ultimately trying to get at is your family dynamics what your relationship with your parents are like because what your relationship with your parents is like radically affects what you are like. So if we are going to be wise at all in this life, we have to at least begin to get a grasp of what to do with these people, these parents of ours. So what I want to do tonight is just try to answer one question. There's, a, there's so much that we can say. This is such a loaded, complicated, hard topic. I want to try to answer one question, and it's this. Uh, how do we relate to our parents? How do we relate to them? And I want to begin by drawing your attention to Proverbs 23, verse 22. It begins like this. Listen to your father who gave you life, and do not despise your mother when she is old. Now that word despise, the opposite of the word despise is the word honor. And that is the word that the Bible uses throughout to talk about how children relate to their parents. In fact, I included the little passage from Exodus 20. It's one of the Ten Commandments. The Fifth Commandment reads this. This is Exodus 20, verse 12. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. This is the word that the Bible uses. The Bible does not use the word love your parents or obey your parents or trust your parents throughout the word that it uses over and over and over, honor. Do not despise them, but honor them. And that is the Hebrew word, if you want to get nerdy for a second. The Hebrew word for honor is the Hebrew word kabod, which is translated in other places as the word glory, which means weight, weightiness. So the Bible seems to be saying, if you're going to relate to your parents, the way that you relate to them is that you give them weight. You honor them. You, you treat them in a way that makes them significant in your life in some way or another. And what I want to do for the rest of our time is just give you three quick ways that the Bible talks about what it means to honor them. Three quick ways of how we honor them, then we're done. Here's the first way. The first way that we honor our parents is this. We respect them. We respect them. That's number one. Look, at, uh, look back at 23-22 again. Listen to your father who gave you life. It says, listen to them. Hear them out. 
invite their input into your life. Which means, which presupposes that you have enough respect for them that you actually care about what they have to say about your life. That does not mean that you agree with everything that they have to say. They're not right all the time. That doesn't mean that you trust everything that they say because just like every other person in your life, your parents have to earn your trust. But what it is saying is to listen to them, to give weight to what they might have to say about your life. You invite their input into your life. Now, if we're at all honest, 99% of us think that our parents are idiots. Right? I, whenever I go home and I'm around my mom, uh, she's always asking me ridiculously easy questions about how to use her iPhone. She's like, uh, you know, been laboring about, like, Matt, how do you turn the volume up on the ringer? And it's been like two weeks for her trying to figure this out, and I take it and I hit two buttons and I give it back to her and it's fixed. And it makes me like want to roll my eyes at my mom. And there's a million examples from your life where we can kind of roll our eyes at our parents because there's just so much about our lives and about our world that they don't get. And it's just easy to dismiss them. But the Bible says do not dismiss them. It says listen to them. Respect them enough to listen. And, and I, I, love how the, um, I love how the proverb, that little proverb, finishes by saying, listen to your father who gave you life. Which I think is pretty amazing because it's like, hey, you know that those old people that you don't really think are smart or have anything important to say? Maybe you should listen to them for no other reason than the fact that, oh yeah, they created you. They like helped to make you. Like you wouldn't be breathing right now if it weren't for your parents. And, and to update the language there, here's what I think this means. You should respect your parents for no other reason than the fact that they wiped your butt for the first three years of your life. Your poop got on their hands. They deserve a little respect. They wiped your vomit off of the, the walls. Uh, you had projectile vomit when you were little, and they wiped it off of the uh, off of the walls. Do you know how much sleep your parents gave up for you? Lots and lots of sleep. You know, whenever a student complains to like a parent like me that they suffered because they had to stay up all night for like a project they were completing, you just need to know every parent is really trying hard to be empathetic with you. We're trying really hard to enter into your pain where it's like, oh, you had to stay up all night to finish that project. Gosh, that's hard. And you could have done it during the day, but like you played FIFA all day and like ripped cigs with your bro instead. And gosh, that's hard. Staying up all night. Oh, I don't know. Maybe try staying up all night, every night for eight months because that's what a parent is with a child. <laughs> Thank you. Someone thought it was funny. <laughs> So what does it mean to respect your parents then, those people that gave you life? Here's what it means. It means that you call them back. When they call you, you pick up. Or if you miss their call, you call them back. Or you text them. You ask them questions. You invite them into your life. Again, you don't agree with everything they say, but it's at least you listening to what input they may have to say about your life. Some of you should write letters to your parents and thank them and express some level of appreciation for them because they've been doing things for you your whole life that they didn't have to do and you just assumed they had to do it because that's kind of what parents do, but they didn't have to do it and you should maybe just thank them. That's
that's just one way that we can honor our parents, is we respect them. But here's the second way that I think we can honor our parents from Proverbs. Not just respect them, but forgive them. Forgive them. Look at um, Proverbs 20.20. If one curses his father or his mother, his lamp will be put out in in utter darkness. To curse your parents, if you curse your parents, that means you're refusing to forgive them. That you have so much bitterness and resentment bottled up that you won't let go. That if you will not give that up and actually forgive them, it says it's like your light going out in darkness. It's like if you've ever been in a cave spelunking with the headlamp and like the headlamp goes out. Now you're disoriented and you're controlled by darkness. That's what it's saying if you don't forgive your parents. If you want to curse them, be bitter, resentment, angry towards them, and not forgive them, that's what life is like. So some of you are like, why would I need to forgive my parents? I have amazing, awesome parents that have never done anything wrong. Uh, Here's why you should forgive your parents. Because your parents have failed you. At some level or another, uh, your parents have failed you. And here's what I mean by that. Um, I mean, even if you have awesome parents, even awesome, amazing parents, every parent is at some level a failure. Michael Chabon, who's a writer, here's how he describes what a father is. He says, a father is a man who fails every day. Think about what a parent is. Actually, no, think about what you are. Think about yourself. Uh, If you think about just who you are, you're struggling with your future, like what you want to do with your life. You're struggling with who, who you're becoming. You're dealing with all of your own shame and guilt. You're dealing with all your own resentment and discouragement. And you're spiteful towards people. And you're jealous towards people. And you're envious. And you're exhausted. And you're overly motivated. And you're unmotivated. And you're hurt. And you carry around pain. A parent is that. But God says, oh, here's a baby. That's what a parent is. A parent is someone that does not have life figured out at all, and then God tasks them to raise up another human that does not have life figured out at all. That's why a parent is a failure. There's no instruction manual on how to be a parent. And and, uh, really, a person's life is one, they live their life almost 100% selfishly. Every decision you make is about you. Everything you do is all about you. Every decision, absolutely selfish. And then the moment that you have a child, your new job in life is to be completely, 100% selfless. And that's a pretty hard transition. In fact, it took um, me having my own children to realize just how, uh, you know, really for this to click, that all parents in some ways fail their kids. Uh, just to give you an example, from this past week, uh, we just recently got a dog, which is very exciting. Come over to our house, pet her. Her name is Maggie. She's Flocka. And, um, uh, <laughs> and um, so we just got this dog, and our little daughter, Zoe Kate, loves Maggie. That's the dog's name. But last week, this past Sunday, two to three days ago, Maggie chewed up one of Zoe Kate's little stuffed animals. And so Zoe Kate has this hysterical meltdown, you know, an hour after she's supposed to have gone to bed. And she's in her bed, she's freaking out, she's crying because Maggie chewed up my stuffed animals, you chewed up Rainbow Dash. And um, 
And so she now wants Maggie to sleep with her in bed to be the substitute stuffed animal. And we've said from the beginning, no, the dog cannot sleep with you. And so now I've got this decision, we've got this decision on our hands where we're like, okay, she's melting down hysterically. Do we go in there and just kind of lay with her until she calms down, which is going to take another hour? Do we, you know, give in on our dog policy and just let the dog sleep with her and then she'll be quiet and she'll calm down and go to sleep? But I was also somewhat suspicious that she was, you know, being manipulative. She was cranking up the tears and the pain to get what she wanted, to get the dog. And it's like, you got all these options. Like, what do you do? I don't know what to do with this kid. She's freaking out, and I don't know how to, I don't know how to help her. Because if I punish her for being manipulative, but she's actually genuinely sad, I'm doing extra damage to this child. So what, what do you do? I did all three. I, uh, I went in and I kind of laid with her for a little bit. I let Maggie go in there and sleep with her for a little bit. And I punished her for being manipulative. And uh, she was very confused and hurt and will need counseling when it's all said and done. But my, but my point is, you know, every parent fails their kid like that. Because every parent has really not much of a clue what they're doing. Every parent is just a version of you, just older. They're hurt. They're struggling with their own temptations. Uh, they're a mess. They have their own baggage. And when you realize that your parent is just a person like you, that gives you the freedom in some sense to forgive them. Doesn't mean it's easy. Because a lot of your parents' pain and their own internal junk has driven them to be really bad parents. Some of your parents have used their own pain and used that to fuel them by over-parenting you, over-controlling you. Some parents have used that pain to just sort of take their hands off and just kind of let you do whatever you want and abdicate their responsibility as a parent. Some parents have done horrific, terrible, abusive things. So I'm not saying it's easy to forgive your parents, but I am saying that your parents are just a version of you that just happens to be older. They're a mess, and they don't know what they're doing either. And when you put that into perspective, that doesn't make the pain go away. But that does at least free you up to have some resources to begin to f- be patient with them, to begin to forgive them. So if we're going to honor our parents, we respect them, we forgive them. Here's the last thing. We replace them. What do I mean by that? Well, there's this really fascinating passage in the New Testament. If you get to Luke 14, in verse 26, Jesus says something that's really crazy. And he's kind of shocked a lot of people by saying this. But he says this. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. What is Jesus saying? Hate your parents? Here's what Jesus is saying. He is saying this. The love that God has for you is of such a magnitude that your deepest, most intimate relationships on earth look like hate in comparison. He's inviting you to experience the magnitude of his love and to return his love in such a way that every other relationship you have, even the most fundamental, life-shaping, character-shaping relationships that you have, they, they look like hate in comparison. In other words, he's not actually calling you to hate your parents. He's just calling you to replace your parents. And here's why this is really important for us. Because in many ways, probably we have not thought about this enough. 
But if you were to diagnose your own heart, I think we would all say that we, at some level, worship our parents. And that's part of the reason why this relationship is so jacked up and complicated. For example, for some of you, you will do anything that your parents say. Your parents control you, they tell you to do anything, and you slavishly obey everything they tell you to do. And you resent them for it, but you still do it. Which is a form of worship, a form of devotion. I will do whatever you ask. It's a form of worship. You may not call it that, but that's what it is. Some of us here uh, live to please your parents. The major that you're in, the future that you're pursuing is driven and governed by this deep desire in you to have your parents look at you and say, I am proud of you. And that's controlling you, which is a form of worship. Again, you never say that, never articulate it like that, but that's what it is. And I think one of the reasons why we have such crazy high expectations of our parents is because we, we've, we've worshipped them. We've said, you must be my sole source of love and care and support. I'm centering my well-being in you. And that's one of the reasons why we have so much rage and anger and hurt over our parents because they can't be that for us and they will never be that for us. So what Jesus is saying is we need to replace our parents. They've become God for us in lots of different ways. And it's jacked up our relationship. And so what we need is we need a better God. We need a better, a better father, as it were. Some of you may be familiar with the name Henry Light. He is the um, dude that wrote a bunch of the hymns that we sing here at RUF. He wrote songs like, um, Praise My Soul, the King of Heaven, Abide With Me, uh, Jesus on My Cross Have Taken. He's got a really fascinating story. He grew up in the 1800s, and when he was little, his parents split. His parents separated. The mom left him and his dad and moved to London, and she just kind of disappeared. Historians don't know what happened to her. And uh, so he grew up with his father, and when he was maybe 10 or 11, his parents, his dad sent him off to boarding school. And when little Henry Light was at boarding school, his dad would write him letters And he would sign the bottom of the letter, not your father, but your uncle. Can you imagine, like, here's here's this man who does not want to be associated with being your father anymore. I'm not going to call you father. I don't don't want you to call me father. Like, how confusing and painful would that have been for this little kid? And yet as Henry Light grew up and he started writing these hymns, It's really fascinating that the father image shows up in almost every one of his songs that he wrote. And you would think that the father image would be this distant, mean, tyrant figure, but it is this warm, tender image. Let me me read you a couple lines. Here's some, some lyrics from the song, Praise My Soul, the King of Heaven. It says this, Father like, he tends and spares us. Well, our feeble frame he knows. In his hands he gently bears us, rescues us from all our foes. You see how tender, compassionate, and sweet this image is of this father. Here's another line from Jesus on my cross have taken. Think what spirit dwells within thee. Think what father's smiles are thine. 
think that Jesus died to win the child of heaven canst thou repine. And repine is just an old way of saying, uh, of being mournful, of being depressed, of being sad. And what he's saying to himself is, self, think that you have the Father's smile. If that's true, how can you be sad? How can you be so downcast if you have the Father's smile in heaven? What happened to Henry Light? Here's what happened. His experience with his heavenly father was so sweet and it was so transformative that it surpassed and replaced his experience with his earthly father. He had such a sweet communion with his heavenly father that his relationship with his earthly father was functionally replaced. And he found his soul and his well-being and his, his nourishment and all the love and the care that he needed in God. Now, how can that happen to us? One more proverb. Look at Proverbs 3, verse 11 and 12. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father the son in whom he delights. On the cross, Jesus lost the father's ultimate delight so that you and I could have it. On the cross, Jesus took God's wrath and punishment so that you could have God's ultimate delight. He took the frown of God so that you could live under the perpetual smile of God. And when you know that that's true of you, when you know the Father's smiles are mine, that I am his ultimate delight, he becomes your ultimate delight. He becomes your God. And when he becomes your God, this means that your parents are no longer your God. And that, guess what happens? That frees you up to stop resenting them. It frees you up to respect them. It frees you up to listen to them. It frees you up to love them. It frees you to honor them. Because you don't need them to be your sole source of joy and satisfaction in this life anymore. You have it in God. Look, I'll end with this. Um, I don't know if you've seen the movie Goodwill Hunting. But it's an amazing movie. Matt Damon plays this guy named Will, and uh, he's the, he plays the kind of this genius character who's just a train wreck of a person. All of his relationships are dysfunctional. All of his relationships are messed up. He has this relationship with this girl, Skylar, that starts out great, but he sabotages it like he sabotages every other relationship. And he gets into counseling with uh, the Robin Williams character named Sean. And really, the whole point of the movie is them exploring how he destroys every relationship that he's in. And the climax of the movie takes place in, their counts- in his counseling office. And Sean, Robin Williams, sits Will down and he starts recounting to him all the horrible things that his father did to him. How he abused him, how he abused his family... And at first, you know, Matt, the, the Matt Damon character, Will, is, you know, resisting it and pushing it aside and not wanting to deal with it. And Robin Williams, if you've seen this scene, it's an amazing scene. He just kept saying over and over and over, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. And what he's saying is this. Just because your father doesn't love you doesn't mean that you're unlovable. Just because your father doesn't love you doesn't mean that you can't be loved. And what Robin Williams does next is he stands up and he moves towards him. And he, and he invites him into experiencing a fatherly love that this character has never experienced before. And it's this amazing, poignant scene 
where the Matt Damon character just collapses in his arms and he's weeping because he's experiencing really for the first time the embrace of a father that loves him. He's experiencing in that moment what it's like to taste and to know the love of a father that he never had. And guess what happens in the last 10 minutes of that movie? All of his relationships begin to get healed and restored. And that's the principle. Loved people love people. When you experience the love of your Heavenly Father, you will be empowered and have the resources to love other people, including your parents, that have hurt you, that have failed you, that have disappointed you. The invitation for you tonight is this. To come and to experience the love and the joy that your Heavenly Father has for you in Jesus. That He has moved towards you, He's invited you into His grace, and He has embraced you. And when that happens, you will have the power to honor your parents, to respect them, to forgive them, and to replace them. Let me pray. Father, I know that um, so many of us uh, here tonight, that there's just deep, unspeakable wounds and uh, from our parents. Some of us here tonight think that our parents are amazing and they hung the moon and some of what we just talked about was offensive because we don't think our parents could do any wrong. And I pray that you would help both of us, both sides of this equation, that I pray that those of us that think our parents are amazing, I pray that you would help us to see them as people that are just as broken and messed up as we are. And for those of us that have parents that have done really horrible, painful things, I pray that you would give us resources to extend them grace, to know that we have been loved in such a tremendous, powerful way. I pray that you would transform our lives, that we could love even our parents in a transforming way. Father, help us as we enter into the summer and whatever that means for how we relate to our parents. Help us to honor them as you command us and give us grace and power by your spirit to do it. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.